I was just <laughs> losing my mind with frustration. April 3rd. We're going to scrap reading out the numbers at the start because they're getting more and more silly and misleading as it is. The main things we want to talk about today, well, among other things, we're going to talk about the Ontario Press Conference, why some of what we're being told might be rather misleading, leadership, and 3M was told not to ship any N95 masks outside of the U.S. Okay. Okay. And things that happened today in the headlines, Trudeau announced $100 million um, for food security across the country. So that's like food banks and related kinds of organizations to make sure people have food. Ontario um, announced that they've created a temporary license for unlicensed doctors. So this would be like foreign mm. professionals or medical students that haven't, who have graduated from medical school and done their residency but haven't written their final exam. So like trained professionals but just not with the final credentials. And so they can get a temporary 30-day supervised license. And apparently they did this a while ago but they didn't announce it. Hmm. So people didn't know. Oh. So now um, they're I guess they're trying to recruit more health professionals. That's fantastic. And as Tillich said, Trump asked the company 3M today that makes a lot of medical masks. They asked them not to ship masks outside the U.S., which is apparently they mostly ship to Canada and Latin America. Um, it was so an, I don't think it was, a, it was an ask. It was ordered, I think, even, right? I like don't think he can do that. Yeah, I think he it was the Defense Production Act. I think he invoked... Is that not... 3M is is fighting against it. They're arguing why this is a bad idea, but yeah. I think that I think what Trump was doing was telling them, like it was... Like the Defense Production Act means that it's like wartime and you're not... You have yeah. to do what we say. But it's not a U.S. company. It's not. I don't think so. It's a U.S. Based? It's a U.S. Um, um production they're making them in the u.s mm -hmm. okay well, well we don't know what's going on there but it was a big political yeah problem um ontario reduced the list of essential businesses today that can remain open i don't know what got cut specifically but it, the list went from about 70 business types to about 40 business types mm-hmm and then there was one piece of non-COVID related news that made it through the headlines today, which is that Bill Withers died. Mm -hmm. Singer of Lean On Me. So lots of people paying tribute to him. Hmm. Okay, but what we really want to talk about is the press conference that was held today in Ontario with the public health officer... Um, what's his name again? Donnelly, Doctor Donnelly. Yeah. Doctor yeah. Peter Donnelly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And a dean from 
U of T, School of Public Health, and St- well, who was the other guy? Staney Brown. Yeah, St- he's sorry, the dean. Yeah, he's the dean, and then yeah, someone in charge of who the clinical. Who was the other guy? Some clinical guy. Anyways, yeah. um, the point of this press conference was to, I guess, to give the public the information, the modeling that the government was making its decisions. Oh, I can read it right off their slides. Hmm. The objective of today's presentation is to share the modeling and projection data that the command table has been using to inform our work and advising government on their response to COVID-19. So, I mean, long story short, it was an extremely disappointing press conference. It started with the fact that Mm -hmm. they were talking about projections and visuals without (laughs) showing the visuals. They didn't have a screen up behind them. They (laughs) had no screen. They didn't put it up on the feed. And so only 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 the journalists had the slides. Only the journalists had the slides. They didn't even put the slides up on their website or anywhere where the public could ask uh, (laughs) where the public could access them. So they were just talking about you see slide two and i was just (laughs) losing my mind with frustration like what what kind of presentation to the public is that i mean it was a press conference we want to make sure that you see what everybody's watching these press conferences yeah Yeah, no i I agree they basically gave a trailer for it yesterday yeah that's press conference like it was Mm -hmm. I'm so mad just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we have the slides now. I can see them because journalists, like everybody was tweeting at the journalists, where do we get these slides? And Mm -hmm. so they they posted them. Mm -hmm. Unreal. Okay. But then aside from just the ridiculousness of not sharing the slides, the modeling was not impressive Mm -hmm. in fact it was not really there so they showed some i mean yeah i mean they showed existing data from global stuff i guess but then when we got to like projected cases in ontario by april 30th 2020 it's just a bar graph Mm -hmm. where they're like you, if we didn't do anything, we would have 300,000 cases by the end of April. The way we're going right now, current intervention scenario will have 80,000 cases. And if we lock down further, we're going to have 12,500 cases. Mm-hmm. But that's not a model. Like, those are numbers pulled out of a model. They're not showing us any of the detail. They're not showing us when is the peak of this infection. How long is it supposed to last? Like, it, they're just numbers that they're pulling out. And furthermore, David Fisman, who actually did the modeling and made the slide that I'm looking at right now, um, did a podcast today with Steve Pakin where he more or less implied that Dr. Donnelly did not properly mm, represent the work that they had done. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the first thing, yeah. So first we watched the thing and the, the press conference, and it was less than impressive. And then we listened, well at least uh, you were getting some of this on Twitter while you were watching, I guess, but mm -hmm. then from David Fisman. But I kind of watched the press conference and then listened to the thing this evening, listened to the podcast with David Fisman this evening, and it sh put the whole thing in a, in a much, much more negative pessi pessimistic yeah. light for sure because it was only wednesday night he said that you know david fisman and the he's a prof at the u of t's public uh, the public health department the dalawana school of public health and they were approached wednesday night prior to wednesday night no one from public health ontario had gotten in touch with them they'd well, been well they've been trying they've been the offering for the past two months like let us help you model we can do yeah. modeling for you give us data we'll help you do this yeah. and they've just been ignoring they, yeah and so it was only on wednesday night probably because the public got into a bit of a you know they kept getting questions about show us be more transparent show us what's going on because we don't have any confidence in what you're doing so can you please be transparent right. about what you're... But because they only got the data Wednesday night, none of all of the data that's shown in this today was all already publicly available. Yeah. It's not using the IFAS data. There's really nothing that we they didn't... Yeah, they There's didn't nothing they new got. here. But beyond the fact that there was nothing new, the numbers... Like... Oh, the numbers that they showed, the way that they showed them are basically like back of the envelope calculations. It's basically like yeah. that so we could do. I mean, we did do, right? That like we did do, <laughs> that we do regularly. You basically say the 70% of the population is going to likely get this virus and then 1% could die from it. And what you spread that out over a month, here's what it looks like. Like this is how many people. No, over the course. So literally that's what they did. Their projected yeah. Ontario deaths over the course of the pandemic was 100,000. And if you, I did this this afternoon, if you take 14.5 million Ontarians and multiply that by 70% and then multiply that by a death rate of 1%, you get like a hundred yeah. and one thousand or something. Yeah. Like that's literally what they did. Yeah. A back of the envelope calculation. Yeah. And there's a lot more you can do <laughs> if you're an epidemiologist and well, you know how... Well, can you though? I mean, the yeah, point is, if there is, if they had better, like they're. But the other point that David Fisman was making is they're kind of flying blind. Like, even as an epidemiologist, they need some estimates there, of what's so going on. So there are already like epidemiology students and, um, and lots of academic people that are taking the data that is available and doing amazing doing things more with, with it. it. Sure. If you go to housemyflattening.ca, <laughs> <laughs> you can see some of that at work. And there's way better <laughs> graphs there mm -hmm. than this supposed transparent press conference. Uh, if they talk about being transparent one more time. The thing, though, that I... Well, now I am actually, I feel like they are being transparent, but what it reveals is that they're incompetent. They're incompetent. I think, and right. it makes they me... They don't know what they're doing. They really don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's what we see now. And yeah. what David Fisman said, the biggest issue that other provinces have done, where other provinces have done much better, like Quebec, 
where they so the problem is you've got this bottleneck in testing you don't need to test like he gave the example of in SARS they didn't have a test to right. tell you they had no idea what was going on the to to do a biological test but you can still figure out what's going on by using symptoms so you track the disease by people reporting certain symptoms and you and you can test and trace or whatever d not test and trace but what word you'd use i don't know observe observe and trace Find like and anyone trace. who reports these symptoms you then go back and say okay who was in your you know who did you have contact with over the last few days before you started having symptoms in this i guess in sars you would do it from the day you got symptoms how many people have you been in contact with if in this case you might have to go two days before that because you you might be some asymptomatic and still spreading it but you could be doing that you could be identifying these people and tracing everyone yeah and getting all their contacts to be aware and isolating themselves as, as soon as you know and you know pick the appropriate level of how many layers you go for each person that is it was in contact with someone with symptoms or so on but yeah so that's what quebec has been doing and they're doing better than we are for that yeah. reason i mean that's that's pretty and we could have been doing that but yeah except that public health ontario just is incompetent Isn't. apparently so here's a good quote from the podcast so did we say which podcast this was this was called this is the hashtag on poly podcast with steve pakin and john mcgrath um and it's episode 18 from I'll today i'll put the link in but it's yeah, i <laughs> so strongly recommend listening to this it, it gives you a really good picture of what in fact, just stop listening to us right yeah, now we and can't, go listen to we're, that. We're not going to do So here's that. the quote. We want to cast our net as wide as possible and find cases where we aren't expecting to see them. They've taken exactly the opposite tack. It's dug us into an awfully deep hole, and now I think we're paying for it a bit. So yeah. the other part of this um, press conference that just made me bang my head against a wall was when a reporter asked um, how many cases do you think we actually have? Mm -hmm. And he, what did, I don't remember. He said, well, we definitely have more than we're testing for. Mm -hmm. But basically said, I, I don't know how to guess that. There's a hundred thousand ways to guess that. We've done this on this very podcast <laughs> right here with two very non-experts <laughs> who've never <laughs> taken an epidemiological <laughs> course in their life and have no public health experience. Yeah. Like... Well, you take the case fatality uh, rate of 1% and you just say, well, if there's 100 deaths, we're somewhere in the vicinity of 100 deaths right now, and you say, there, if there's been 100 deaths at this point, then there's mm -hmm. probably 100,000 people with it. No. Sorry, 10,000 people with it. 10,000. Right, 1% times. But yeah, 10,000 three weeks ago. Three weeks and then ago. And you have so to bring that forward, up, however it's growing. Right. So it ends up being tens of thousands. But yeah. And then there's another way, too, that we talked about last night, which is you can look at Quebec, who's doing much better yeah. um, counting of their cases. Mm -hmm. And they have a 2% icu rate and we have a six percent icu rate which would lead us to believe that we should probably be tripling our number of cases mm -hmm. so what does ctb say we have right now 
we have 3,200 cases. Mm-hmm. And if you triple that. What, what did they say the death number is? Uh, the death number? I don't know. I can't use a calculator. So that puts us around 10,000 actual mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Again, two weeks ago. There's a, l- a lot he could have said y- about you that. Can, you can make some educated guesses. really yeah. underscore, even if you don't want to do math, mm-hmm. you can, like on the spot at a press conference, you can say a lot of things to really underscore the fact that there are so many cases that yeah. were missing. Yeah. And they must have a ballpark estimate. Like, I can't believe... I just can't believe that you work on this all day and you have the fate of the province in your hand and you don't have numbers like that on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the David Visman, like, did, did those tweets get deleted? The, the ones you said, he they like he basically <laughs> he said they need Dr. to fire this Donnelly sweaty guy or something like that. Shaky and sweaty and... I don't know. You talk about something. I'll look if he deleted those. Um, I think the other. Um, what was the other thing they talked about in there? The. Um, oh, he and he was. Yeah. F- Dr. Fisman, David Fisman was also very critical of when. The guy, uh, Dr. Williams. Yeah. No, I'm using the wrong name. Who's the Who's the doctor? Donnelly. Donnelly. Sorry, when Donnelly tried to use the analogy of the flu again, which I thought we'd gotten past trying to say mm-hmm. this is. An he wasn't an analogizing it. He was like using it. He was linking it. Yeah. The impact of the, the impact. flu. Basically, he said that the flu kills in a bad year 1,500 people in Ontario. And so 15,000 is 10 times more. It's not crazy he to was think. just saying that's like a way to estimate it so if the death rate yeah. of COVID-19 is 10 times more than the flu then 15,000 again it's like a back of the envelope it, calculation it makes some sense yeah I think f- Dr. Fisman was was took issue with that because when the flu he just wanted to it it doesn't address the issue with this disease in that with the flu, the number of people that die, you don't actually know right away what they died from. Often it will be stroke or heart attack or some something else, but you can do modeling. This is the kind of thing that I guess David Fisman does for a living. He will model the number of people that died around the flu season and try to back calculate if the flu, if they, if you know, what impact did the flu have and kind of make someone more likely to die, right? It's a far more of a statistical estimation thing. Whereas in COVID-19, there's no question people are dying from COVID-19. It's mm-hmm. like their lungs it instantly fill directly. up with, within it's a week. Like some people's side. lungs fill up with fluid. It's not that they're dying from anything else. It's, it's not a secondary infection like is it, usually with the flu. Yeah, it's not like a it's not that it's making you a bit weaker and unable to fight off other things. It's this thing took over your body and it's it's the cause of your death without mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yep. Yeah, go mm. ahead. 
Um, you were going to look up if the tweet was still there. Yeah, no, the tweet's not still there. <laughs> I don't that. see that anymore. But I did, I was reminded of some other tweets. Uh-huh. So David Fisman did the modeling that these projections they presented was based on, yeah. right? David Fisman gave them the slides. The night before. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I made some of these slides the night before. So, or he gave them three of the slides, like the major slides. And he's tweeting during the press conference, I have no idea where these numbers (laughs) are coming from. (laughs) Right? So they're not even, they're just doing back of the envelope conversations. He said, where's the 15,000? So they gave a number where um if yeah 15,000 people could die if what during the course of the 15,000 is it in a month like by No, I no, that wasn't in a month. Oh, no. Where did 3 the wasn't it 3,000 to 15,000 is the estimate for Not by the end of the month though. That's that was two over years? the whole. That's 2 years. Oh. Oh yeah, 1500 um, was 1500. Oh, here. What deep, dark place did he pull 15,000 out of? Oh. That's the tweet. Oh. So, yeah. we These are not intelligent, thought-out numbers. These are back-of-the-envelope calculations mm-hmm. that we could have done ourselves. Somebody make me public health officer. I'm just kidding. Don't. Don't do that. Hmm. But it's just frustrating because there are people out there who are trying to do this work, who know how to do this work and are not being allowed to do this work. They're, they're not being but at least they're funny. really loud on Twitter and so we can see it and learn things from them anyways. I mean, yeah, this guy, I hope he doesn't get fired because he's being very, he's uh, making a ruckus for sure. Yeah. And people are, uh, I mean, wha- the, I- the podcast with Steve Pagan ended by him saying, I wish... I could say I was happy to have you on here, <laughs> but I feel terrible now <laughs> about this whole situation. And so, yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that he's just like, he's speaking truth to yep. power. That we he need said to it was scandalous that we aren't counting suspected cases like Quebec. Well, he said, yeah, he, in, yeah, that was fascinating yeah. that he, it seemed like he was hinting. He said, I hope journalists yeah dig into, dig into why we why we decided to go by the testing yeah, number the as opposed to only. probable cases because there's something scandalous there or so, something yeah. he seemed to indicate there's a there's something there's a reason yeah. and someone should find out that reason okay <sighs> i think we covered that disastrous press conference i mean that's really that yeah just wa- listen to the on Polly on Polly podcast and you'll get you'll get the full picture. Yeah. It Yeah, I just wish we had some public health leadership in Ontario that we could trust. It's good. We seem to have really good leadership at the city level in Toronto and at the federal level. So, hopefully sandwich between those two, Ontario can out and we have good political will mm-hmm. like doug ford mm-hmm. is doing what the experts tell him to do he understands it's serious he is mm-hmm. cracking down mm-hmm. he's no florida governor no so we have the political will so if we just have some better <coughs> public health 
tools being used, that would be great. I mean, hopefully what this kind of message that he's, that Fisman's putting out there is right. Like he's, he's saying that now, I mean, they got pulled into this finally. Wednesday night. Because I think Ontario Public Health is recognizing that they're in trouble, that they're screwing this up. Mm-hmm. And they're watching other provinces do better, and they don't know how to fix it. But an epidemiologist isn't going to give you the public health tools necessarily to fix it. Well, they can they Maybe. can give you the recommendations to what they need to be yeah. doing, and like to bring Identify them into the picture. Home. I think yes. bringing them into the fold yes. and getting them absolutely. It it, it should hopefully that's what's get happening, and it's not some sort of ego power trip thing that yeah. these guys are going to go on now. So moving on a little bit, but staying on the topic of public health failures, mm. Reuters is that how you say the name of that organization? Somebody please tell me. <laughs> but they wrote an article today called "Ontario Lab Design Left Province Short of Coronavirus Testing Supplies," and it was about why. Ontario had a backlog when no other provinces did. Mm. And what they describe is that it's kind of standard public health protocol when you're setting up um, labs to do testing that you have redundancy in the system. And so you have like multiple types of tests being run or multiple places tests are processed or you know whatever there's redundancy in the system Mm -hmm. and i guess ontario is basically the only province that didn't do that yeah and so we're the only province that couldn't handle their tests Mm -hmm. so that's a frustrating revelation that changes nothing at this point Mm -hmm. but also i heard and let me just check while i'm saying this that Ontario eliminated their case backlog today. Yes, that's right. That's Let me see. Yep, currently under investigation is says twelve hundred, which is probably about a day's worth of tests. So that's good. At least we're out of that hole. Okay. What else did we have to talk about? Did you want to talk about your the U.S. Roosevelt? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean the yeah. So this builds on the 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 reason I want to talk about this. This is the Roosevelt is a ship in the U.S. A, a Navy ship that the captain. I'll get his name because I think it's important. Captain Brett. Crozier, Crozier, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, uh, was fired yesterday. Yeah, he was stripped of command after he publicly raised concerns about a COVID-19 outbreak on on. Oh, sorry, it's an aircraft carrier. Yeah, on the aircraft carrier. There's there's um, about five thousand people on board, and I think uh, over a hundred of them had tested positive for COVID-19. So he um, he sent a memo to his superiors saying that they were not ready, that, that their ship needed to be taken out of, I don't know what you call it, 
readiness or whatever, but everyone needed to come out of the ships. They needed to clean it. They needed to test everybody to make sure people, um, you know, what the extent of the COVID-19 outbreak was. Uh, the the memo got leaked to the media, and he was then uh, relieved of his duties. As a result of that, there's a video where you can see his, the people on his ship, his, his uh, crew, I guess, the sailors on board the ship, uh, cheering for him. It's, they're saying Captain Crozier. I think, um, yeah, he's uh, he's the type of leader we need. We need people to to take a stand and and at even when there's a personal cost to themselves. So in this case, he, he probably knew he was doing something that was likely going to get him in trouble but he did it for the health of his crew and he got fired for it. And it just, it, to me, it's just the juxtaposition of him being a good leader and doing what he, what, what a good leader should do to protect the people that he's, in, he's looking after. And a glaring example of someone, another leader above him who decided to not do that, to not take care of the people not take care of him and um, for, for doing the right thing and for for um, yeah relieving him and it strikes me that David Fisman is kind of trying to do the same thing and he might get in trouble for this but it's uh, hopefully the leadership in the Ontario government well he works for the university he works for the university so, government, so that's true he's he's more well protected in that respect you get to say <coughs> a lot more as a as a prof, I guess, rather than in someone in the Navy. But I think that's all I wanted to say about that. All right. Then. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I had on my list was that I'm feeling the opposite of how I was feeling yesterday, mm. which is yesterday I said that I was feeling really like in denial about the personal cost of this and everything just seemed like numbers and was far away and today it hit me very hard the other way mm -hmm. for two reasons one is that Andre Picard wrote an article in the Globe and Mail and the title was if you can get your relatives out of seniors homes try to do so as fast as you can mm -hmm. which of course immediately made me think of my grandma mm -hmm. in a retirement home mm-hmm and so and she's coming out we started mm. yeah taking actions towards that which was great that was a pretty people had really strong feelings towards that article because if you have a loved one in a nursing home chances are you can't get them out like they're in a nursing not home everyone. because they need nursing not care everyone can do it and yeah. that is not an easy thing to do Partic at home yeah particularly without an end date like there's who knows yeah. how long this well, especially is. if you're losing a bed and you can't get like you yeah can't just bring them home for a couple months and bring them back like it is just impossible yes for most people to do that is not a solution yes. they need to do a better job protecting these homes but reading a headline like that just makes your hair stand up straight 
and bring brought it home really fast. And then the other it, sorry, can yeah. I just comment on that? The the first thing that Andre it's it's inter- uh, to me this is interesting because the first thing that I caught from Andre Picard on the topic of COVID nineteen before I think it was even called COVID nineteen, the title of his article was what's something around like what's worse fear it's like fear or fear it was downplaying the yeah it's the it was downplaying the the severity he used the example of more people die from the flu than this thing and and uh, and he said the fear about this thing is worse than the actual thing i think what (laughs) he's done here with this article is get a lot of people scared about what this really means for their family members. It's yeah. pretty scary. Like that that essentially he's saying the nursing and homes do not have the ability to protect your loved ones. And not to f- mention the people in the homes themselves who read the paper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Yeah. I think I saw a few um expletivated tweets at okay. Andre Picard for yeah. that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's for sure. I mean, it's a scary thing like that. It mm-hmm. I forget. Is it I want to say it was it Theodore Roosevelt that said that the the thing the only no thing idea. to fear is fear itself. Anyways, the the um, I think also a threat that you can see coming and peop and I don't know, people not reacting to it the right way or being unable to prevent a catastrophe that you can see coming is something to fear. <laughs> it's not just, yeah. it's not, it's not hysteria. If you see yeah. it coming and, uh, or if you think you can tell that something terrible is about to happen, I don't think that's should be called unreasonable. Yeah. It, 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 some things in life are scary for good reason. Yes. For good reason. <sighs> Continue. Um, Sorry. The <laughs> I was just going to say the other thing I read today that put people behind the numbers again is a story in Wired. I think it's called New Yorkers Once Again at Ground Zero in their own words. And it's just a compilation, little vignettes of of things that healthcare workers working in New York are seeing and have said. And it, yeah, it's just the personal side again and oh yeah and I read a Twitter thread by I think his name is Craig McPherson the ER doctor that I mentioned a while ago who wrote a Twitter thread about his day right Um, and now this is probably like a week later and his thread now is just more desperate and he's just saying like this isn't what we do like everything they're doing now is not what they do mm-hmm. like every day in emergency departments they're like just constantly intubating people mm-hmm. and sending them to the ICU and it's not what they do and they're getting absolutely exhausted mm-hmm. and there's no end in sight and they're emotionally exhausted mm-hmm. so yeah I just don't know In these really hard hit areas, I just don't know how you get through that. And I think that's why we are all locked in our homes because you just can't let that happen. 
-hmm. if there's any power that we have to have that not happen we we need to make sure that does not happen mm -hmm. so pressure we just have to relieve the pressure on the healthcare system that is yeah gotta be the goal how are you feeling today yeah i feel i feel like well i feel really proud that there's someone like david fisman brave enough to and and lucky enough maybe to be in a position where he was able to like he's in the thick of it he's getting asked for data he knows exactly what's going on behind the scenes and he's brave enough to talk about it with someone like steve pakin who i think has you know he's a he's a very uh i don't know what's the word upstanding journalist like he's, yeah, he's someone he's who's well known a well respected mm -hmm. journalist who i think is i think this is could go somewhere right like someone i think if you get the story out with the right people it will things the issues could get addressed and yeah i think that's the good that's what feels good but i think yes i'm i feel depressed that Ontario Health is incompetent is yeah. is not we we have a it's lack a of it's a very big disappointment considering like how strong we felt we were starting yeah at the beginning we were so they took action excited they took action it seemed like we were just going to jump on top of this like i remember that feeling of adrenaline yeah I do not feel it anymore. It's just I feel like now like we're losing. But part of that is because our data is so bad, we can't see if we're win like we can't see if our actions are having an impact yet, which they might be, but they might not. Okay, here's one other mm -hmm. data thing to mention. Mm -hmm. So, if Ontario, if we were all just sitting here not moving, the infections the cases and deaths that we're seeing would go up 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 until two or three weeks after our lockdown and then would start to go down again yeah. right if our social distancing physical distancing was working we would see that mm -hmm. effect coming as yeah. you see it in every other place that locks down mm -hmm. but we have some wild cards that can that may inflate our case numbers or death numbers even if we're locked down mm -hmm. one of them is outbreaks in long-term care facilities yeah. which will when those happen as we saw at pine haven it just the death rate is so high yeah it skews the values and it makes it look like a bigger outbreak it will look make it look like we're not flattening the curve in the general population. Yeah, it's going to be hidden by that noise. Yeah. And then the other thing is people who just came back from the States because and a lot of people, snowbirds coming back from Florida. Mm -hmm. In Florida, it's very clear that they have rampant spread. Mm -hmm. um, and so we could have just imported all these cases so that's over the past couple of weeks, wi which could just explode our numbers even if social distancing is working it's like we're we just imported these cases yeah and the backlog of testing 
that the results the coming out but late. That's done now. That's but I mean, even I'm saying, even if yeah, the testing was perfect and we were just looking at what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our social distancing was working perfectly. Yeah, we've got these other we weird things. We still happening. have these other weird things that could cause the yes. curve to not flatten as we hope. I mean, I think that's. Yeah, that's got to be what's happening. I mean, we just ha so it means we have to wait another two weeks before we really see it, mm -hmm. because the now that we've tightened the borders, people are c hopefully not coming in. I mean, people can still come home. Yeah, we but I think stop people from coming home. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um. What was. I had something else I wanted to say. Oh, I had two things to just touch on from yesterday. Um, the first is masks. So I'm increasingly, I, I really do think people making their own masks is a great idea. And people, I think we're going to start seeing that in public. You're going to see, start seeing people wearing cloth masks. And, um, uh, but don't, yeah, caution against. So I looked more into Yesterday I talked about there's a video where people are talking about using HEPA filters, so vacuum vacuum, vacuum bags, HEPA vacuum bags. There's other ones that are furnace filter-based masks. People are using this MERV 13 to 16 value filters, which are, there's some, I can't remember exactly how it works, but they're very high-quality filtration. They, they provide really good quality filtration, they're made to certain standards, uh, but there's, I th the more you look into it, the, m the more I looked into it, the more I started to worry about if it's a good idea to put these materials right next to your mouth and breathe through them. It sounds like some of these have glass fibers embedded in them that are used, that's part of what the technology that's used to capture particles when they're used in a vacuum. Uh, but yeah, especially if you're cutting into these things, you're breaking, you're, you're, releasing some fibers out of the materials it's probably not something you want to have right next you, you don't want to be breathing this stuff in you don't have, have these glass fibers going into your lungs so i think that and and what's a bit scary is if you I, before i dug into it a bit more i started looking on amazon just for these ba vacuum bags and they're basically sold out so i think <laughs> uh -oh. like the problem is that people are people making are these things this already like you basically can't the one the model that the people use the one video i found where someone it was a doctor who came up with the idea and his wife like to made a pattern and put the pattern out there it, that model that they use you can't buy them anymore and so i think a lot of people uh -oh. have it's are trying to do this and it m it's I think always doctors putting out these videos yeah with bad information i mean it's not it's a maybe they should yeah stop doing that yeah i mean there's check their safety. sources yeah safety it's it's really i mean there's a reason products that are out there require rigorous testing and mm -hmm. um, safety testing that i mean that's the issue we talked a little bit about the 3m not being able to ship stuff out and you know it's not that simple for someone else to start manufacturing them this is the you know yeah. even if you have like there's there's a very rigorous test process that has to go into certifying what an n95 mask is how you make 
make sure the product you're making is, you know, actually conforms to that. Yeah, I saw a few things today that said it looks like it will take months for like factories to get tooled up here to be making these masks. Like these are precision. Yeah, these are. When they first started talking about it, it sounded to me like they could just like start doing it. Like start doing it like very quickly. Like it's one ventilator company said they could be like making vents by the weekend. And I thought masks would be. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Easier than ventilators. I think I think the surgical masks are probably much simpler, but the N95 masks, it's uh, yeah. I think they may end up having to um, reprocess what they're talking about in the U.S. already. Some hospitals are sterilizing used masks at UHN. They've started collecting them as well. That could end up being the route they have to go. Because it's, it's, I mean, we'll see, we'll see if 3M's statement, I mean, they did a good job of trying to push back against Trump saying, look, if you get all protectionist on this supply, you could end up shooting yourself in the foot long term. So end up with less masks in the end. So let's see if that has any impact. That's, they're the right, I mean, that's a brave thing to do and say, so hopefully that does something. The other thing to comment on is, um, the CHR uh, thing, the cancellation oh of yeah. the thing. So there, there was a huge outcry against the decision to cancel the spring competition, considering we're in. Th- so CHR, again, is the funding body, the main health research funding body in Canada. They canceled their spring competition. People had put in their, their proposals. Uh, there was a huge outcry from the scientific community. But they just sent out an email saying they're not going to, um, they're not, um, they're not going to what? They're not going to reverse. Sorry, they're not going to reverse their decision. No, they're. uh, I thought you were going to say. I'm sorry, I misled you there. No, I I meant to say that, yeah, they're they're not changing their minds. Oh my God. Yeah. There's, um, here I can read the, I know, uh, I guess the actual quote doesn't matter. That's the that's the gist of it. Okay, well, so much for that. You really had me going there. Sorry, I'd, I'll be more clear. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wasn't. Good I news. think we've covered all the day's news. Complained about enough things. <gasps> I forgot to find a joke. Oh no. All right. I'm sorry. How about this? How about this for a lighter? Th- th- I was actually thinking about this. The, you know, so with so Dan Savage, sex columnist Dan Sa- and ri- writer Dan Savage, uh, what does sex and love look like during this period now? And everyone has to be social distancing. You know, it's I not think a joke. No, it's not a joke. <laughs> it's a different way of looking. I think someone coming up with alternative ways of this sort of social contact coming up with ways of doing this kind of social contact is valuable. So he was on the current with, uh, who does the current now? Um, Matt Galloway. And it could be an interesting article. I'll put the link in or not an article, but, uh, podcast, I guess radio. Okay. But here's kind of a joke. Oh, you found a joke. All right. It's kind of a mean joke. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. It says, a lot of you probably have coronavirus because one symptom is having no taste. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's All right. All right. Let's end it there. And oh, and no podcast tomorrow night. Or Saturday. Or it could be a special podcast. Or Tillich will do something, but I'm going to bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Good night. Good night.